With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. TCL is a proud sponsor of the 1500 ESPN Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings... We present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collard here. And with all the madness and storylines that came out with cutdowns yesterday, one thing we did not get to was the Chicago Bears edition of Khalil Mack. So to talk about that, Lauren Cox, who is a pro football-focused analyst, also hosts the Locked on Bears podcast, of which he had the greatest guest of all time, me, once. So, Lauren, how are you? Hey, I'm I'm great. I'm glad to be uh, returning the favor here. <laughs> yes. Well, I I enjoy doing your podcast, and since I've been following your work, uh, I I like what you do a lot, and you, you bring a lot to the table. So now you are going to tell Vikings fans how scared they should be of Khalil Mack. So let's start there. The Bears are not just building a defense around Khalil Mack; they already have a, a defense that ranked. I believe it was 10th in yards and 9th in points against last season. Was that legit to you? I mean, is that the way you saw them is a fringe top 10 defense that now just added one of the best defensive ends slash outside linebackers in the NFL? Yeah, I think it's more or less accurate. I mean, fringe top 10 is probably fair. And last year it was almost more impressive because of how poor their offense was. I mean, it was archaic. It was, you know, 19... 80s style offense with you know not really putting your quarterback in a great position and a, a lot of things went poorly offensively and the way they were able to kind of keep the keep the offense in games with that defense and and just kind of hold up and, and surprisingly make plays with some guys kind of stepping up out of nowhere it was an impressive uh just kind of collection of players coming together and so you add Khalil Mack to this defense and there's a lot of excitement and it really felt like this was a team that was perfect for this type of trade that they have, you know, a lot of starters, young starters under contract for the next three, four years. So they can afford to give up a couple first round picks and not feel like there's any key position where they need to add, you know, a first round talent, young player to really round out their roster. They had, they had the room in the cap space to make this deal. They had, they had some flexibility with some draft picks to make this deal. And they had a huge, huge need at outside linebacker. They don't have, consistent pass rushers there you know Leonard Floyd was going to be kind of tasked as that top guy and I think he's the big winner from this trade which 
I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more, but the Bears can just get a lot more flexible and, and move guys around here. And Mac, I mean, just as a 15-sack player, just elevates everyone else's level of play around him. Yeah, the, the Vikings saw a couple times when Pernell McPhee was healthy how much he could dominate a game. There was a 2016 game where the Vikings came in undefeated and or, or maybe with, with one loss, and then you know Pernell McPhee dominated that game, and uh, the Bears came out with kind of an upset win, and then the Vikings let go their offensive coordinator the next day, and it sort of set off this tumbling from 5-0, and or five and one to uh, eight and eight that year, but so we saw what an edge rusher in this defense that's successful can do. It just that McPhee was very rarely healthy. Now, so how good do you see Leonard Floyd as as the other side of this? Because you mentioned him as a top beneficiary. Obviously, all of the attention is now going to be on on Khalil Mack, and Floyd is another guy that has given the Vikings some problems. Yeah, so that's key for Floyd is that he was probably going to get most of the attention. I mean, Hakeem Hicks on the interiors was still probably their best pass rusher. But in terms of that edge guy, it was going to be Leonard Floyd. And he has a couple broken bones in his hand and is going to be playing with the club to start the season. So, you know, he was going to be limited as is. But now now Khalil Mack gets all the attention on the outside. Hakeem Hicks gets the attention on the inside. And if you're if you're trying to leave two guys for each of them, more or less, that's only going to leave one for Leonard Floyd. And he's going to have a lot of those easier one-on-one pass rush opportunities you know, before it was going to be him and Sam Acho probably at outside linebacker with a former undrafted free agent as their number three because they signed Aaron Lynch and he's been hurt. But now you, know, you can get Floyd moving a little bit more with some stunts because you actually have more threatening pass rushers around him that offensive lines actually have to care about. You know, they can't just key in on Floyd every play if they're moving Floyd around. They They really have to know where everybody is. And I think this might be Floyd's key to a potential double-digit sack season that I don't know if he could have done on his own. But if he gets these better matchups, I, I think a healthy – if he can stay in 16 games, which he hasn't done in his career, I think the potential is there. I love the club, by the way. Anytime a guy's got a club, <laughs> I'm focusing on that guy the whole game to see how he uses the club. And I just think it's a cool look, and maybe that's one of the things that Madden needs to work on is putting clubs in the game. So – Anyway. Well, the, the problem is then you can't <laughs> use your fingers. And, you know, a lot of the savvy pass rushers, you, you kind of get away with defensive holding because you grab them and kind of yeah. throw them around a little bit. And you can't do that with a club. So it is it is pretty limiting, as cool as it does look. <laughs> Maybe I'll just uh, cover a game one time at the club. Just, just put the club <laughs> on the left hand and be like, what? What are you guys looking at? Uh, you can only hold a microphone with one hand. You can only type with one hand. It's tough. I'm trying to go inside the game here, like to feel what it's really <laughs> like, except for only typing with one hand. Uh, when I when I go through this defense, I it's almost like you could just check off underrated guy, underrated guy, underrated guy. Because the Bears haven't done a whole lot of winning, if you're not in Chicago and you're not watching them all the time, you probably don't have a good feel for how good Akeem Hicks is. Or you might not have a good feel for what kind of prospect Roquan Smith is or you know Eddie, Eddie Jackson or Kyle Fuller. Like, that, doesn't it seem that way that they have not gotten the type of attention so they add Khalil Mack and it's like okay yeah all right he's really good but there's all these other players on this defense that could make them one of the best defenses in the league now with with a true star pass rusher it's tough because you've had a lot of these unproven guys kind of I don't want to say like emerge but maybe maybe overachieve a little bit or it's a little bit hard to pin down exactly 
what they are. You know, like Kyle Fuller, for example, has had an extremely up and down career and had the best year of his career last year. They paid him and rewarded him with a big contract this offseason. And so if if he can continue to play at that level, you know, then then you're feeling pretty good. And and same with Prince of Mukamara on the other side, a guy that's bounced around a little bit since his time in New York, had some injury issues, but a pretty solid physical man-to-man cornerback, but never a big turnover generator. So maybe, you know, closer to your average consistent starting corner. And then like the safeties, Adrian Amos continues to kind of fly under the radar as, as more of a box guy and a slot guy that can do a lot of different things. And we've only seen one year of Eddie Jackson. So, you know, there's there's the potential for a sophomore slump there. And, you know, the front seven, probably a little bit more of a sure thing with Hicks and, and Eddie Goldman at Noah's tackle is underrated. And now your linebacking core is pretty well set. There's a, a little bit of a, a weak spot at that other defensive end spot in the base with, you know, former third round pick Jonathan Bullard and then a former undrafted rookie free agent, Roy Robertson Harris. There's some potential there, but, you know, there's still areas on this defense with some room for improvement. And I think just some general question marks as to, okay, we've seen them be good in the past, but can they continue to play at that high of a level? And I think right now that's what keeps them from being a true top defense. And uh, I would say that if some guys dip a little bit in their play, that an edge rusher who can pick up 15 sacks will paint over some of those problems. I mean, let's talk about what Khalil Mack actually brings as a player. I I was watching uh, a video breakdown from our buddy of the podcast, Brandon Thorne, of all the different pass rush moves Khalil Mack has. And, I mean, it is quite the toolbox. I mean, this isn't one of those toolboxes that uh, your dad buys you when you get your first apartment. I mean, this is like the the, (laughs) the fixing tractors version with all the, I mean, this guy can do pretty much anything. It seems to get after the passer. Yeah. The the only thing he doesn't do is really drop back into coverage, but you don't, (laughs) you're, you're probably wasting your time with Khalil Mack if you're dropping him back into coverage. So, I mean, he just makes everyone else's job easier. I mean, not only just the offense, if the defense is playing well, but, you know, individually, you know, he, he, he hurries the quarterback a little bit more. So the secondary doesn't have to cover as long. You know, he takes up more blocks for the other pass rushers. He sets a really firm edge in run defense and is just an animal in that area as well. And it gives the inside linebackers an easier time to kind of make read their keys and make some plays in the running game as well. So, I mean, there's not there's probably not a guy in the starting lineup on either side of the ball that's not positively impacted from Khalil Mack, but certainly the other 10 guys on defense all have a much, much easier time. When, when you look at the rest of the NFC North and how the different teams might go up against Khalil Mack, it would seem to me that the Vikings would have the most trouble with him because, you know, there's Bakhtiari in, in Green Bay and uh, you know Detroit has put a lot of money into their offensive line, but the Vikings offensive line is their Achilles heel right now, the way I see it. They're starting at the right tackle position, a guy who was not drafted and was picked up off of Jacksonville's practice squad two years ago. And then at, on the other side is Riley Reef, who is a really tough player, but He's more around average when it comes to pass blocking at best. And then the second half of last season, he really struggled with some injuries. Uh, When you're talking about the matchups with Chicago, and it seems the Vikings always have troubles in Soldier Field, uh, if there was a huge gap there between the two teams, I think it closed quite a bit yesterday because of the impact Mack could have on those games. Yeah, and I mean, Detroit's had some trouble with their offensive line too. I mean, even though they've invested in it, 
you know, Ricky Wagner has been a, a more of a run blocking guy from what I can tell in, in his career, though. I have not uh, sat down and really dug deep into Ricky Wagner tape. And then Taylor Decker's had some injury issues and, and some inconsistency there. So, don't, you know, I, I still put the Vikings at the bottom, but it's not uh, it's not going to be the end of the world for them. And of course, you know, Green Bay had to start Justin McCray there a lot last year. So, you know, they've had some issues as well. But with all these teams, I think no matter where their offensive line strength lies, you're going to see Vic Fangio really try and attack the weakness. That if, if it's a team like Green Bay that maybe has some weaker interior, you're going to be looping Leonard Floyd and Khalil Mack a lot on the inside. Or if it's the Minnesota and once that interior offensive line gets a little bit more healthy, then, then that right tackle spot probably becomes that, that weakness. So then you're going to see maybe Floyd and, and Mack coming off that same side looping around there. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can you can attack an offensive line and the bears were really going to have to get creative before making this trade because they didn't have a lot of guys that could do it but this just uh really opens th- opens things up completely so on, on the offensive side i think chicago got the most conversation this offseason because of all the players that they added and i liked every move i mean trey burton was a guy that i know the vikings looked into Taylor Gabriel is the under the radar signing of a guy that's really good with the ball in his hands. And then the coaching change might be the biggest thing. So it would seem to me, Lauren, that when you're looking at this offense now, it is so well set up for Mitch Trubisky that if he can't get this to work, then you will pretty much know whether you have a quarterback there or not. And I think that's mostly true. And I think that's certainly the plan. But what I hesitate with this team, and I was hesitating a lot more before Khalil Mack, so that, that certainly adds some relief there. But, you know, there's a lot of moving parts there offensively. And a lot of guys that you're, I guess, projecting a little bit, and it's all very reasonable projections kind of based on what you've seen. But, you know, with Allen Robinson, having, he's got that one year with 1,400 yards and 14 touchdowns, but hasn't been a 1,000-yard receiver any other year. And he's coming off a torn ACL. So there's nothing totally guaranteed there you know Taylor Gabriel has never been I think his best year production wise is like 600 something yards with the Browns and never necessarily been uh, a true top target in an offense and the potential is there again but you know you haven't necessarily seen it and Anthony Miller rookie second round pick a lot a lot of potential there a lot of talent really good route runner good hands all the things you want in a receiver but again never actually done it in the NFL and then Trey Burton has never been a true number one tight end in the offense. And all four of those guys, really high potential. And if everything comes together, this this offense can be really, really hard to stop. But I guess my, my concern is that in the NFL, you never see everything go right for a team. I guess the, the Los Angeles Rams came pretty close last year, but it's rare when everything goes right for a team. Mm-hmm. And so something is bound to not go as planned whether that's an injury on the offensive line or, you know, some somebody doesn't pan out the way they thought they would. I kind of thought pass rush would be the one thing that wouldn't pan out for the Bears because they just they really didn't have anything to work with. So Khalil Mack really, really solidifies a lot of that. But it, it just feels to me like it, it, something has to not go exactly how they want it to because if they do – man, this team is going to be tough. So considering how tough the NFC is, it's a conversation we've had a lot here in Minnesota is just that the Vikings could be a better team than they were last year and end up with a worse record because their schedule is really tough and the NFC North is really tough. Uh, What is the ceiling, floor, and most likely outcome 
for the Chicago Bears this year? So that that I think changed a little bit with this trade, as you might expect. Yes. But I, I was originally projecting about an 8-8 eight and eight season and probably still finishing fourth in the NFC North at that record. And, you know, just significant improvement. But, you know, Khalil Mack makes me more inclined to bump that up to 9-7. and seven. You know, maybe the... You know, I think the ten and six and eleven and five would probably be the absolute ceiling. Sort of like the ceiling is last year's Rams. I mean, at the end of the day, that's the that's the comparison everybody makes. And if everything goes right and everything goes the way they expect it to and want it to and plan for it to, then you're looking at that surprise kind of playoff push team. But you know, the Bears they play. You know, they have to play the Packers and Vikings twice. Uh, you know, just like every year. Mm-hmm. You know, they play they play the Patriots, they play the Rams, they play the Forty ers I mean, those are six really tough games and you know if you take a couple of those and you know they got some other games along the way that could be you know tricky or I you know I, I just think in sort of in that eight and eight nine and seven range means you know you win a couple games that you're not supposed to and maybe you lose a couple games that you're not supposed to just as so many moving parts and it's a young team with a first year head coach it, it, assuming a couple things go wrong it's probably a nine and seven team and your floor it, you know if, if a lot of things start going wrong probably in that Six and ten, seven and nine range. I think the Vegas over under right now is seven and a half, which I think is pre Khalil Mack was a pretty darn good spot for me. I'm, I'm guessing that'll jump up a little bit more, but you know, sort of in that still, still clearly behind the Packers and Vikings, and and maybe a surprise playoff team, but they're going to need some help to get there. What's your sense for Matt Nagy so far? I mean, I, I know it's they haven't played any football games yet, so that's really tough. But as far as you mentioned that. Last year, the offense was really archaic, and this seems like the guy to change that around entirely. Yeah, I've been I've been trying not to get too. I've, been, I've just been trying to be conscious about not getting too caught up in the hype, you know, because everything that comes out of the organization is so positive about him. He says all the right things at press conferences. The team seems to be really responding to him. I mean, there's there there has been zero reason for concern and i guess for me that that almost raised a red flag that i I had to take a step back and say okay wait a minute is everything as phenomenal as they make it sound and it's it is really hard to poke any holes in it so far you know i guess so i'm hesitant to crown him as the next best thing until we actually see it all come together on sundays because he is a first year head coach and it i i hate to say it but you know when the bears hired mark tressman five years ago Mm -hmm. now there was a, not to this extent, but a similar level of optimism. You know, a, an offensive head coach is going to fix Jay Cutler, and you know this. They had Brandon Marshall and Alshon Jeffrey and all these weapons. It was supposed to be the most talented Bears offense we had seen, maybe since the '80s. You know, there's there's parallels there, even though I think there were more red flags at the time with Mark Trestman that we didn't necessarily identify. So I'm looking for him, and I, I'm not seeing him yet. So there's. No reason to be concerned, but I guess I think so many Bears fans have been burned before. I think maybe they should be a little bit cautious until we see, you know, a lot of wins on the football field and, you know, a, a head coach actually in action because he, he is an experienced or an inexperienced coach with five games of play calling for the Kansas City Chiefs. There's no guarantee that that's all going to work out, but he does seem to have a pretty firm hold on the locker room. All the players are responding well. Obviously, loads and loads of talent, and he knows offensive football. He's got a veteran defensive coordinator kind of running that side of the ball. 
a lot of reasons to be totally optimistic, even if maybe I didn't make it sound that way. It's, no, it's a decent situation for him to drop into also because you're coming off of John Fox. And I imagine that Bears fans were just tearing their eyes out watching John Fox football. Now, if I recall, didn't John Fox challenge a play that ended up being worse off for his team? last year so i mean it, it it can't be worse than that what he's coming from but uh, i do remember mike zimmer talking after his third year as a head coach that it took him at least three years and probably into the fourth year before he truly understood all the elements of being a head coach and all the things that you have to deal with because you know through the camp and the preseason and all that it's very much, why is this guy good? Why is that guy good in, in your press conferences? But then all of that changes, the pressure changes, the media changes when you get into a real season. And seeing how different first-time coaches react to that sometimes determines whether they're successful or they're not successful. So uh, that should certainly be interesting. One more thing for you, Lauren. Um, I, I'm curious what you think this year's offensive, like, wildcat type, oh, everybody's talking about this in the NFL now, whatever the the trend will be. Because I feel like the RPO thing has been talked about so much that teams are still going to use RPOs the way that they did before, which is sometimes, on occasion, for some teams. But because it's been discussed so much, it's not going to be like, oh, it's RPOs like crazy because Philadelphia used them. That's just my theory. I could be wrong. Is there something else that you think that Matt Nagy might bring or that could be kind of like the the new trend that we're talking about in 2018? Well, the one thing I'll mention is that the Bears' offensive coordinator is Mark Helfrich, who was the head coach at Oregon after uh, Chip Kelly. And actually, I've had I've had Oregon-based listeners tell me it's pronounced Oregon. Like, yeah, you don't say Oregon. Correct. Even though yep. I, I, I've, said it, I've said Oregon my whole life, so I, I can't. My brother lives in Oregon, Wisconsin. Like, that's just how I've always said it. But anyway, uh, <laughs> so, I mean, Helfrich, he's not calling plays, but he's just kind of offensive innovator. So you might see a little bit of the some of the Chip Kelly-like concepts that the Eagles tried to do. I mean, not very extreme. I mean, maybe some tempo stuff that that uh, that is a little bit different. But it's going to be basically the Eagles and the Chiefs offense combined in Chicago. And I think as we see this Andy Reid coaching tree kind of continue to root within this league and, and more and more off. Like there's so many teams now with, with either an offensive coordinator or a head coach coming from that, that tree. And you're going to see a lot of passes to tight ends and running backs. And I think that's going to be really the big thing is that the value of wide receivers individually in a lot of these offenses will kind of continue to drop in, you know, your Trey Burton and your Tariq Cohen in Chicago, I think may end up being two of the actually most important receivers. I mean, forget Allen Robinson. They just paid, whatever 48 million dollars to and you know is your number your quote-unquote number one wide receiver it's going to be a lot of Trey Burton a lot of throwing to running backs and tight ends and just to create those mismatches and that's not new but I think you know Reed and Peterson and Nagy and, and those guys they put a lot bigger emphasis on it because they realize how valuable those mismatches are mm-hmm. yeah no I, and I think that the Vikings are Sort of in that same way, when Delvin Cook was asked about this offense, it was one of the things he talked about a lot is that no matter where he's lining up, it might be wide receiver, it might be the slot, it might be in the shotgun, or it might be you know in, in an eye formation or something. But 
Uh, they're going to try their best to just get playmakers in space, which I, which I think that good offensive coordinators have always done, but now are putting more emphasis in that with sort of hybrid players like Cohen who can catch out of the backfield and, and run and, and do a little bit of everything. So, well, and, and again, it's because, I mean, John D. Filippo, not that he's from the Reed coaching tree necessarily, but spending those years in Philadelphia under Doug Peterson, it, it all kind of comes back, you know? Yep, and uh, is uh, is Helfrich in his? Is this his first time in the NFL, or has he been in the NFL before? I'm pretty sure. I mean, his first time in a significant role. I don't know if he's been an assistant, you know, a lower level assistant. Really quickly pulling up his Wikipedia page, this looks to be <laughs> his first stint in the NFL, and he wasn't even coaching last year. His and, last year at Oregon was 2016. He was on TV all of last year, but Matt Nagy, I think he said he was Helfrich was really highly recommended by people he trusted and. You know, they had never worked together. They just he just wanted to bring in a bunch of different great offensive minds and kind of piece it all together, which which maybe might be the first red flag that yes. you know, he had never yes. he, had, he had never worked with this offensive coordinator, had never worked with this offensive line coach, never worked with the quarterbacks coach, and his wide receivers coach was Mike Furry, the former wide receiver who he had played with in the Arena Football League. Like there's a a lot of you know, a lot of personalities maybe in the coaching room and, and maybe that's where you're wondering how well this first year young head coach can hold it all together. But uh, so far, no concerns there. Yeah. The uh, thing that has not been talked about in Minnesota is just that as smart as John D. Filippo is, and he is very, very bright when you listen to him talk. Um, we just don't know. Uh, he called plays once before and it was for Cleveland in 2015. And I guess you get a pass for that, but you know, I mean, this, this is really only his second try doing it. And his first try only lasted one year. So that that becomes sort of a wild card with both Chicago and the Minnesota Vikings for how things are going to turn out. Uh, Lauren, we will get together again when the Vikings play the uh, Chicago Bears, and it is always, always a great time when the Vikings go to Soldier Field, right? I mean, it's just always something weird or strange or bizarre happens when the Vikings go there. So I can't wait to preview that again with you. Great stuff. Make sure you check out the Locked on Bears uh, podcast that Lauren hosts, as well as Pro Football Focus, obviously. Uh, If you listen to this, you get a lot of Pro Football Focus. And we will talk to you again soon. Thanks, Lauren, and thank you all for listening to the Purple Podcast.